It's Thursday the 12th of December and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, election day in Britain. Could voters deliver another unexpected upset? We'll hear from Monocle's editor, Andrew Tuck. This election is one where voter loyalty is set to fray and many voters at the centre of politics will look at the ballot paper and decide none of the above. Plus, Vanna White spins a new role for herself, taking over hosting duties of the long-running game show classic Wheel of Fortune. Why Time Magazine's Person of the Year is a lesson in boosting your brand. And Andrew Muller examines Aung San Suu Kyi's appearance at the UN's International Court of Justice. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. It's election day in Britain, and while most of us may think we already know the outcome, the ultimate result may yet bring other surprises, as Monocle's editor, Andrew Tuck, reports. But Mr Speaker, I know he's worried about free trade deals with America, but there's only one chlorinated chicken that I can see in this house, and he's on that bench. Today Britain goes to the polls, and a victory for Boris Johnson's Conservative Party seems inevitable. It's just the scale of the triumph that remains unclear. How many traditional working-class neighbourhoods will turn Tory blue on the election map? Will the Tories hold on to the Scottish seats that they gained in 2017? Or will a resurgent Scottish National Party crush them? But one thing is clear. It's been pitiful watching the party leaders in action. The Labour leader has simply failed at settling the anti-Semitism issue in his party. Looks worn out and his outlandish spending promises have failed to find cut-through with the public. Boris Johnson has shown himself to be a man uncomfortable with answering a straight question, and the party's campaign has only one big idea, get Brexit done. And the Liberal Democrats leader, Jo Swinson, has frittered away her popularity because of her complicated take on Brexit and a manifesto that has simply failed to inspire debate. That's why this election is one where voter loyalty is set to fray and many voters at the centre of politics will look at the ballot paper and decide none of the above. The only good thing is that failure at the polls will force the losers to get their houses in order. If anything, it is a no-deal exit that would mean surrendering our industry, our jobs, surrendering our standards of protection... Ladies and gentlemen, Pat Sajak and Vanna White. In 1982, Vanna White spun her first letter on the television game show staple Wheel of Fortune. Since then, she's become one of the most beloved personalities on American television. But it wasn't until this week that she was asked to step away from the letterboard and take on the main hosting duties while the host, Pat Sajak, recovers from surgery. Joanna Weiss is the editor of Experience magazine and formerly a television critic for the Boston Globe. Joanna, women have always been involved in game shows, but really in a hosting capacity. Why is that? No, they're they're usually quite ornamental. I mean, I'm dating myself here, but I grew up watching The Price is Right, which is a, a show about, you know, where the audience sort of guesses the prices of consumer items. And the women on that show were 
they, they really were ornamental. Their entire job was to stand with merchandise and run their fingers across it. The, you know, a game show host, first of all, I think it's a hard job, much harder than it looks. It requires a certain ease and authority, which, which is not to say it's not a job that a woman can do. In fact, several women have done it quite well. But I think traditionally, as commercial TV developed, there was this just stereotype of the authoritative guy. Sesame Street had a character called Guy Smiley who had this sort of big smile and this booming voice, and that just became the stereotype, and it just stuck. Now, despite the media evolving quite rapidly over the past few decades, Joanna, game shows often occupy a bit of a separate universe. I mean, they're almost like television's comfort food, aren't they? Their appeal is often that they don't change. Is there something different about Vanna White, though? I mean, she's almost become a brand all her own, hasn't she? It's true, and and she gets a path to some degree. I mean, so many people are talking this week about this Peloton ad that seems to set gender relations back, where, you know, a, a, a woman gets a gift of an exercise bicycle from her husband, and she seems completely submissive, and he's in control, and she's trying to look good for him. I mean, in a sense, that has been Vanna White's role over the years. She very good-naturedly and wearing incredibly high heels, either turned around or tapped on letters. You know, I mean, I, I think there was there's certainly been an expectation that she can step up and do the job. It sounds like from the first episode or two, she's done wonderfully and has been quite charming. Uh, but I think because of that nostalgia factor that you just mentioned, because these shows feel like time capsules, she kind of gets a pass from modern feminism. The host, Pat Sajak, was forced to take leave quite suddenly, and White was given very little time to rehearse and yet still managed to perform just fine. Do you think seeing a woman in charge of the wheel this week might chip away at this idea that game shows are, by and large, a man's world? I think it's it's going to be seen as proof that, you know, it doesn't have to be that stereotypical game show host holding it down. And, you know, and game shows themselves have evolved a little bit. I think they're they're faster paced and and they're you know the, the newer ones are kind of rowdier and louder so i hope that there's still an expectation that women can step into that faster crazier less comfortable arena just the same as men joanna wise always a pleasure to get your insights thank you Since 1927, the editors of Time magazine have declared an annual person of the year, someone who, for better or for worse, has done the most to influence the events of that year. This year's winner, announced on NBC's Today Show yesterday, is the Swedish environmental activist Greta Thunberg. Fernando Augusto Pacheco is the presenter of Monocle's print industry program, The Stack. Faye, this is undoubtedly an honour for Greta, who's of course done more than most to raise the profile of climate change. But being named Time's Person of the Year isn't always such a positive mantle, is it? Absolutely not, Ben. In fact, in the past, we had figures like Adolf Hitler uh, getting this prize. And more recently, in 2016, they gave to Donald Trump. I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler, by the way, but, you know, he's a controversial figure. You know, a lot of people were surprised the time giveaway. But then time had to remind because, to be fair, time in the last two decades or so, most of their prizes have given like to either good causes or someone that have kind of a you know, solution to the problems or have been a good leader, but it's not always been the case. And and I quite like that, actually, about time, because then it doesn't get perhaps a bit too obvious uh, in a way. Uh, but the choice uh, this year, uh, Greta Thunberg, didn't surprise me. I mean, she was 
everywhere. And and I think the thing with Greta, she is truly international. I mean, even with my own country, only yesterday, uh, President Jair Bolsonaro called her a prat, <laughs> uh, in a way. And, and she made fun of it. She put her own biography. But today, you know, from being a prat to be on the cover of Time as Person of the Year. So that's quite quite interesting. Indeed, indeed. Uh, it is, it's a question of influence, of course, and influence can be good and it can be not so good as well. Uh, person of the Year always generates quite a lot of attention for Time magazine as well, despite, of course, uh, the title not really carrying anywhere near the editorial power that it once had. Fernando, do you think this is a sign that despite all the declining circulation that Time is suffering at the moment, we still actually do place quite a lot of value and trust in venerable titles like Time. Absolutely. I think uh, Person of the Year is one of the best examples of brand awareness. Because I remember he, even here at Monaco, I remember we had the discussion, do we care? But just having this discussion, do we care? That means that actually we do care who is the person of the year, if you if we agree or not. Uh, and again, I think this is quite international. We're here in the UK. Uh, in Brazil, there's been a lot of reports about person of the year. I'm sure in Australia as well. So I kind of, it, it makes it for, even though it's an American magazine, it makes it for a very international brand. Mm. Fernando Augusto Pacheco, thank you. And finally today, our contributing editor, Andrew Miller, assesses the aftermath following Aung San Suu Kyi's appearance this week at the UN's International Court of Justice in The Hague. Awarding someone the Nobel Prize for Peace is always tempting fate. Such are the vagaries of human affairs, yesterday's warmonger is tomorrow's peacemaker and vice versa, that it's not really the Norwegian Nobel Committee's fault when posterity makes mockery of some of their judgments. When you give a peace gong to someone like Henry Kissinger or Yasser Arafat, it's just a risk you run. It is nevertheless startling to see an actual Nobel Peace Laureate appearing at the International Court of Justice in The Hague to defend the government they lead against allegations of genocide. It's pretty much the one thing that isn't supposed to happen. History had given us the opportunity to give of our best for a cause in which we believed. When the Nobel Committee chose to honour me, the road I had chosen of my own free will became a less lonely path to follow. Aung San Suu Kyi, daughter of the founder of modern Myanmar, Aung San, and a formidable politician, diplomat and activist in her own right, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991. At the time, she was rivalled only by Nelson Mandela as a universally admired avatar of all that was good, displaying exemplary courage in resisting all that was bad. She led the National League for Democracy as it faced down the terrifying and ruthless military junta which had turned Myanmar into North Korea with palm trees. Aung San Suu Kyi spent most of the period between 1989 and 2010 under house arrest. She was a hero. Aside from the Nobel Peace Prize, she was awarded the Sakharov Prize, a US Congressional Gold Medal and Presidential Medal of Freedom, an Honorary Order of Australia, Honorary Citizenship of Canada and Amnesty International's Ambassador of Conscience Award. Luc Besson made a film about her. You too wrote a song about her. And in time, she triumphed. The NLD won a landslide election victory in 2015. Though denied the presidency on a technicality, she became state councillor, effectively Myanmar's prime minister. It was hailed worldwide as a victory for decency, determination and patience. 
and now she's denying that she is some kind of an accessory to crimes against humanity. Aung San Suu Kyi has been, it is fair to say, on a journey. Please bear in mind this complex situation and the challenge to sovereignty and security in our country when you are assessing the intent of those who attempted to deal with the rebellion. Surely, under the circumstances, genocidal intent cannot be the only hypothesis. That's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday.